Good morning, Grand Point. My name's Ed Oakley. Um, Lori and I have been attending here probably around 10 years. Uh, we have the awesome privilege of working with a fantastic team with the Reengage Ministry here at Grand Point. Um, we also work with uh, the Next Steps program here at Grand Point. Scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ed. Man, we so appreciate Ed and Laurie and their ministry here. And all of you, thank you for being here uh, this morning on this Super Sunday. Great day to be together, isn't it? And, uh, you know, as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about just how much we depend on technology, right? You do it in your own personal lives, and it's all good until it goes bad, right? And uh, here at Grand Point, man, we have, we have a lot of technology that is here and used to try to eliminate any distractions at all from worship. And uh, every once in a while, you have a morning like today where technology goes bad and it's kind of unexplainable. But I tell you what, I so appreciate our team that was on the platform here this morning, the team up there running all this. Listen, would you just give them a thanks for their service in spite of it all? Appreciate you guys up there. Uh, you have no idea how they scramble up there sometimes and how they work to pull things together to make things as seamless as possible for us down here. And uh, just appreciate our tech team and the worship team even working through those difficulties today. Hey, when you came in today, you were greeted by some very special people in the lobby wearing the uniforms. We support uh, Scout Troop 125. That's our troop here. Scout members, leaders, would you come up here on stage for a moment? We want to just recognize you guys. Uh, give them a hand as they come up here for serving us today. So we've been doing this historically, just sponsoring this troop. I don't know how many years it's been. It's been before I came here. And uh, right now, this, this troop is probably one of the healthiest troops in the scouting area that we know. And uh, you and I both know that that comes from leadership, right? And so we have some amazing scout leaders. Thank you, men, for leading. Guys, thank you for being a part of this. I, I just uh, appreciate so much your service to us this morning. I would love to give a microphone to all of them and let them share some stories uh, Mike says, no, that's okay, Preston, you can just do it. So, But I just want to recognize these guys. I want to pray for you. Uh, here at a church, we count it an honor to be part of this, and we just value uh, just seeing young men like you guys just rise up, taking the oaths that you do, wanting to become responsible men in our culture, in our communities, and in our world. And leaders, thank you so much for being a part of that as well. Man, let me pray over these guys. God, thank you so much for these young men that are on the platform this morning. These guys have taken this step early in their lives to just uh, grow to be responsible citizens, 
uh, to be young men who not only just enjoy wearing this uniform, but also, which is well deserved, but also to serve our community, uh, to serve our families, and to serve our world. God, use these guys for future leaders in our culture and our society. Thank you for the men who are leading them and are committing their time uh, to lead these scouts. Uh, into these uh, these uh, oaths and into these uh, awards, uh, but more so into life skills. God bless them in every way today in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you again, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, so there has been uh, things written and a whole lot of opinions expressed about what a, a preacher should wear when he's preaching. <laughs> You know, some of you are like, man, it should be coat and tie, right? And, and believe it or not, for the first couple years of my ministry, that's what I did. I was coat and tie guy because that's what I thought you did. And uh, some of you are like, well, a robe would be very appropriate today, maybe. <laughs> but um, so I don't know if you knew this, but over the past five to seven years, there has been this major phenomena of preachers and sneakers. Uh, seriously, you can go online, you can go, you can check this out. There's actually websites that identify preachers and sneakers. Now, what, this, what, what this is, most of them are drawing attention to these preachers who are wearing three to $5,000 sneakers. And they are all over America today. There's mega church pastors and others who are wearing these really expensive shoes. Let me put you at ease today and say, these are not it. These are not that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm satisfied and very content with my little Brooks here, but you know, I'm not paying that kind of money for sneakers. If I could, I probably would not. My wife would not let me do that. But so, so maybe it's not the shoes though. I, I'm all for a good pair of shoes, by the way, just know that, but probably not $5,000 sneakers. Uh, now, uh, maybe it's not the shoes that are bothering you today. <laughs> Might be the shirt. Listen, I, let me just say this. I, this. I'm not, this is not a do or die day for me, right? I, if the Eagles lose tonight, if they go down, it's not going to impact my life. It's not going to change the way I treat my wife. It's not going to determine whether I show up for work on Monday, right? Listen, I'm going to roll with it. Now, I'm an Eagles fan. I've been ever since I'm, I was a kid. So I grew up with Phillies baseball, listening to Harry Callis, right? On, on baseball, you know, crackling radio kind of thing. Seriously, that's how old I am. So I remember that Philly has always been kind of my, my teams and grew into the football. I don't know who was actually coaching back in the, those days. Maybe it was Jerry. I forget Jerry's. Anyway, back in the, it doesn't matter, but, um, so I always grew up as a Philadelphia fan. Now I know that there are others here who are different than that, but listen, Baltimore's not there tonight. Pittsburgh's not there tonight. Why not go for Philly? Come on, go birds, right? So there we are. There we are. Um, I, you know, I don't want this to be a distraction. If you need me to take this off, I will, but I'll, I'll kind, of, kind of do this. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. I appreciate your willingness to work with our guest speakers over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mike was here three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, it was Dan. Last week, it was Denny. Thank you guys for kind of working in, uh, helping me out with some time away. Last Sunday, I was in Shippensburg at our Shippensburg campus, and I'm sure most of you by now know why. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Kevin uh, submitted his resignation after 13 and a half years of ministry with us at Grand Point.
Uh, some of you remember Pastor Kevin when he was here leading the United Worship. Uh, for those of you that are new, we used to have another worship service in the gym, in the multi-purpose room, simultaneous to the worship services here. I mean, that made for some crazy hallway mingling and parking lots that were full. And so when we decided to move out into multi-site ministry, uh, Pastor Kevin was the first one who said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the pioneer to help us start this. And so about seven years ago, Kevin did that. And he's been at Shippensburg, you know, leading very successfully uh, for those years. But Kevin is just feeling called to move on. Uh, this is not a resignation out of anything bad or bad circumstances or anything that happened. It's just God moving. Uh, when I was there last week, I talked to the group there and said, listen, whenever God moves, there will be change. You can count on it. That's true in your personal life. That's true in the life of the church. Whenever God is moving, there's going to be some changes, and we need to be okay with that. In fact, we need to embrace it. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to embrace this move uh, by Pastor Kevin and Crystal, who are moving on to something new, different in their lives, and we're going to honor them with a reception right here at Grand Point in the multi in Chambersburg in the multi-purpose room on February 26th. Uh, from three to five in the afternoon. Now, maybe, maybe you don't know Kevin, and that's okay. Maybe you're new, but I'm going to invite all of you to this reception. Drop in, bring a card of thanks, or just a word of thanks, and say thanks, Kevin, for uh, 13 and a half years of ministry. That's a long time in one place. And so we want to honor him, and I'm inviting all of you uh, to that as well. Well, I want to welcome you back to Much Fruit, this series that we're in right now. And just in case you're new and just walked in today or maybe watching online uh, for the very first time, by the way, welcome online audience. If that technological uh, chaos affected you today, we're sorry about that, but hopefully you can be joining us right now. And if you're new with us, I want to give you a brief and very quick summary of this message series. On the very first day that we introduced this series called Much Fruit, I asked you a couple questions. Questions that go something like this. Uh, are you at a standstill in your walk with Christ? So, so we have this language that we use when you become a Christian, like it's this language of walking and it's this journey that we take and thus our next steps. But are you at a standstill in your walk with Christ? Like you're a Christian and you kind of know where you want to be, but you're just not there. I mean, you're not giving up on it. You're not, you know, backing out of it, but you're just not moving. The second question is, do you feel uh, stuck or do you feel stagnant? Do you feel unfruitful? Are you discouraged in, in any way in your Christian life? And then the third question is, are you tired of mediocrity, but at a loss of how to rise above it? Like you're just kind of kind of even, right? You're there, and, but, but you'd like to be here, but you're not there, and you just don't know how to make that movement. So if you answered yes to any of those questions, that is exactly what this series is all about. This series is designed to help you go from here to here, from maybe bearing no fruit at all in your life, or maybe uh, to bearing much fruit, or maybe just kind of being mediocre to being, yes, I've got this. I'm moving forward. I am taking my next steps. Last week when Denny preached, he left us with two options, and he came to the conclusion from the text that there are two options for our lives. One of them is you are bearing much fruit. Number two is you are nothing. You're doing nothing. That's not Denny being an extremist or me being an extremist. No, that's the words of Jesus who said, if you abide in me, you could, might, 
No, you will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do, do you remember? Nothing. So it's either much fruit or it's nothing. Now, most of us would like to have a middle place. In fact, I'd like to have a middle ground in there and say, well, you know, I'm bearing some fruit. I'm just maybe not where I want to be. And maybe, maybe that is the process. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to abide in me because when you abide in me, there's going to be much fruit that comes out of your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want to just take this and kind of do a review on the chapters that we've been working through. This message series comes from this old book called Radical Commitment, Getting Serious About Your Christian Life. And we want to just talk about going deep in your Christian life. And I hope this is connecting with you. But when you know, whether you know it or not, you are designed and you are equipped by God to bear much fruit in your life. It's all there. But it will only happen through a supernatural change of nature and a, a dynamic adjustment to the whole Holy Spirit that moves into your life, a daily death to the self-life, a disciplined interaction with God's Word, a persistent practice of abiding, and today I want to talk to you about a diligent cultivation of the roots. This past week, I don't, I don't know about you, but this past week, man, my heart was wrecked as I watched the rescue efforts from the devastated parts of Turkey and Syria due to the earthquake that happened. I mean, the very fact that the camera crew was there and caught the second earthquake and the buildings just collapsing in time, right? And that, that was stunning in and of itself. But just to know that in all of those buildings, there were thousands of lives going to their death was heart-wrenching. Now, earthquakes have happened before in that area. In other parts of our world, earthquakes will happen again. And all that happens because of what's going on beneath the surface, now, a little geology lesson here. Uh, most of you know that our Earth is made up of these giant plates, right? These hard-crusted uh, plates. There's the Pacific plate. There's the North American plate. There's the South American plate. There's the African, uh, Arabian, Eurasia, India, and so on. All these plates, different plates, make up the surface of our Earth. And they sit, all these plates that make up the surface of the Earth sit upon what is called the mantle. This semi-molten or kind of a thick liquid substance that makes up the core of the earth. Now, these hard, pl hard plates sitting on this molten foundation can shift and move. So when these plates move together and, and they come against each other, they, they pressure, they, they give so much pressure until one of them gives way and boom, there's this earthquake, right? That's exactly what's happening. Now, knowing this geological reality, there are scientists out there called seismologists who study the structure and the movement of the earth and its faults. And they determine where the fault lines are and they determine the likelihood of an earthquake that will happen on or near that fault line. And as a result, uh, in those areas, very specific building codes are applied to any structure that are built on or near a fault line. If you've been watching the news or read any of the news, uh, you're quite aware of all the accusations, and I would even say the mounting anger regarding the construction amnesties uh, that have been historically passed in the regions of Turkey and Syria where this earthquake happened. A construction amnesty is this legal exemption for structures to be built without the required safety certificates. 
And up to 75,000 buildings in Turkey and in Syria, where this earthquake happened, have been given construction amnesties. Now, as I was reading this with great interest and curiosity, there was no mention at all of why an amnesty would be requested. But my guess is that it's simply more costly to comply with certain building construction codes, and therefore there's this willingness to file and receive an exemption in order to save some money and just hope that nothing happens. Now I want to take this geological reality and I want to apply it to our spiritual lives, especially as it relates to bearing much fruit. See, when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Colossians, which is the book of Colossians that we have right now, he writes and he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, for though I'm absent from the body, I'm with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your good order and your firmness in your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, watch this, rooted and built up in him to established in the faith. Why would Paul even say this? Why would he even write this? Because he knows that the, the old saying is true that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? And in order to stand firm for something, man, you've got to have a foundation. You've got to have roots. Otherwise, the very moment a quake comes or a drought comes, you're going to collapse or you're going to be in, you're going to, you know, suffer in this drought. Right, So Paul knows, listen, if you're going to stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to have deep roots and you've got to have uh, this, this foundation. Now, I'm going to use both the metaphors of roots and foundations interchangeably in my message today because that's exactly what Paul does in Colossians. He says you're, you're rooted so that you can be built up. So I'm going to use root analogies and also building analogies as we work through this. Furthermore, both roots and foundations are lie beneath the surface, which, by the way, is the, where the possibility for much fruit begins. It's all below the surface. One of the most beautiful scenes in Franklin County occurs in October. When you drive through the landscape of Franklin County and see all the orchards, right, and the apple trees are just in full production, now, you can walk into any one of these orchards. You can walk around the trees. Man, you can scrutinize them, but you're not going to see the root system, are you? You don't see the root system. Uh, the root system is, is that invisible source of support and supply, but it's all beneath the surface. It's not what you can see. And yet, without that root system, the apple trees could never bear fruit. They would wither and they would die. Now, I want to transfer that very principle to our own personal lives, which basically says, listen, a lot of times our God relationships are invisible, right? The God relationship, the relationship that you have with God, the relationship with I have, I like we don't really see all, all that happening. So you see me and I see you as human beings and we're in relationship here in this place today. Like, so we might talk to each other. We might give some high fives. We're going to share life together. We might see each other outside of this place right here, and uh, we have relationships, but in a sense, all of what we see is superficial, right? It's all on the surface. We don't see what goes on deep down below the surface in, in our lives, 
right? We see each other and it's a facade. I cannot see what goes on in secret between you and God. Neither can you see what happens in my God relationship. You don't know and cannot know the depth of my devotional life or perhaps even its superficiality or weakness. In the same way, I do not know and I cannot know about your personal time with God. Right? So what we see, right, hopefully flows out of what happens below. And so we assume that because we're Christians, there must be this invisible support or system of supernatural support. And we assume that we all have a connection to the vine. Furthermore, we might assume that we can know, at least to some degree, about a person's below-the-surface life because of the fruit that we see in their lives. So if I'm going to hang out with you, right, and spend some time with you, I, I might see some love, and I might see the joy, I might see the peace, and I might see the kindness just oozing out of you, and I'm going to assume that you're connected to the vine. Hopefully, you might see the fruits of the Spirit coming out of my life as well. So in that sense, we can see what happens below the surface, but in general, no, what goes on in our thought life, what goes on in the depths of our heart are not always seen, it's not always known. But I want to tell you this today, the fruit of a productive, healthy life is a cultivated root system, a cultivated root system. Now, what I'd like to do today in this message, I just want to give you a couple action steps, two action steps related to this root system uh, talk. That's it. Two things for you to take away. It's on your handouts. If it's not there, I want you just to just kind of get this in your minds uh, today. Um, I want to give you these action steps uh, related to the, the root system. So here it is. Number one, if you're going to bear much fruit in your life, action step number one is this. Sink your roots. Sink your roots deep into the soil of God's word and allow him to be the lifeline of your life. We all have a lifeline. We all have something that, that informs what we think about. We all have something that informs what our hearts call us to do, right? There's a lifeline somewhere. That lifeline might be on the surface. It might be things that people say to you, earthly relationships that you have. It could be the news that drives you or whatever. But I want to challenge you today for an action step, and that is to let your roots go down below the surface, right, of all the surface things, and have them sink deeply uh, into the Word of God. According to Jesus, an effective and resilient spiritual root system can only be found in good soil. And that's why Jesus tells this story. I love the way Jesus teaches because I can get it when there's a story. So Jesus tells a story in the Gospels about soil, about, uh, about this sower. And, and he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 5, this sower went out to sow his seed. Now, picture, picture this, not, not a guy just kind of putting one little seed in a row at a time, but a broadcast, like he reaches into his pouch, gets a handful of seeds, and just kind of broadcasts them out, right? So that's the sower, and it says some of the seed fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot. Hard gravel path that you walk on, cycle on, right? That's the path, and, and some seed falls on that. It didn't take root, so the birds came and they devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. That all makes sense, doesn't it? That all makes sense. I grew up on a farm, and I remember one of the pieces of equipment that we had was called a cultivator. 
cultivator and, and it was one of those things that we pulled behind the tractor and it was designed to work up hard soil. Now, we also had a, uh, a garden. We had a big garden, so we had one of these walk-behind rototillers, right? So uh, the rototiller that we had had these big things in the front, and it, it was a workout. Like if that rototiller hit a rock or hit something hard, man, it was like all over the place, and it would kind of throw your back out. Our tractors were green, by the way. We had John Deere tractors. Not, nothing against this, but so, so that's what you do. The purpose of cultivation is to loosen the soil and allow it to come into a place uh, where the, the plants will grow better. Now, Jesus explains this in verse 11, where he says the seed that this guy was sowing is the word of God. All right, that's why I say, man, be, be, be planted in the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The ones, these are people along the path are those who heard. And then the devil comes and he takes the word away from their hearts so that they don't believe and aren't even saved, right? They're not gonna even get this. The second one is there's other people. These are the ones on the rock and they are those who hear the word. They immediately receive it with joy. Like, wow, that's awesome. That's great. That's what I want. But it says they receive it with joy, but because they did not allow it to take root, they believe for a while, and then in a time of testing, they fall away. If we're fruitless, it's because we're rootless. So if you have roots that go down deep into the soil of God's word, there will be fruit that comes from that. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges, and it's named after a prophet uh, by the name of uh, or Jeremiah, and it's named after this prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah came on the scene when he was 17 years old, and God used this young 17-year-old as one of his prophets. At the time that he came on the scene, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And they were living under this captivity. They were living under this bondage. And now Jeremiah was given the task to go tell the southern nation of Judah, hey, guys, you're next. You're next. The Babylonians are coming after you. And the Babylonians are going to take you captive for 70 years. And Jeremiah was supposed to go and tell the people this. No one in their right mind would have wanted to be Jeremiah, right? This is a bad news bearer. And these people didn't realize that this was a prophecy coming by God, and he was only using the voice of Jeremiah, but it would be an understatement to say that they didn't take it very well. I mean, they were furious at him. That even tells us in the book of Jeremiah that the, the people of Judah were so mad at him, they wanted to kill him. But for 40 years... 40 years, Jeremiah kept prophesying. He kept pleading with these people to turn their hearts back to God and trust in him rather than trusting in themselves. And, and, and he, was, he, was, he was lonely. He was depressed. He had this mental anguish. And uh, he was even hated by his own people. And that's where this text that, that Ed read for us earlier comes in. It's Jeremiah saying this in chapter 17. I actually say, acknowledge, I'm not going to reread this, but he says the person who trusts in man rather than God is going to experience a dry, unproductive, and lonely existence. And if that describes any of your life right now, seeming dry, unproductive, lonely, most likely it's because of where your trust lies. It's where your roots go. Maybe your roots are into what people think and what human society says rather than into the roots of God's word. 
And, and Jeremiah experienced this, or the people of Judah experienced this. They were living dry, unproductive, and lonely lives. They were like bushes or tumbleweeds that might flourish for a season, but will ultimately wither and die. But I love the contrast. And I hope you picked that up when Ed read this. There's a contrast. The person who trusts in God rather than man is considered blessed. And he's going to be, he or she is going to be like a tree planted by the sources of water. Such a person experiences this constantly growing and fruitful life. They're going to enjoy stability, confidence, and peace, freedom from anxiety. And as the last verse of this says, they will not cease to bear fruit. The difference between a bush and a tree is the root system. A bush has shallow roots. It's not going to go very deep. There may be some exceptions, but in general, they're not deep. They're shallow. So they dry up and they wither. But a tree planted by the streams of water, right, is going to go deep. I want you to know today that it's up to us. It is our decision where we set our roots down. It's our, it's our decision how deeply we allow those roots to go. And I want you to know that every day you make decisions regarding your root system, every day. And so what we sometimes do is challenge you, encourage you, just kind of draw you to this place of establishing spiritual disciplines. I know we don't like that word. We don't like that word, but it's important. Spiritual disciplines that we practice on a regular basis. If you go to a gym and you work out, You know the significance of repetitions, right? You're really not going to get anywhere by one repetition or one push or lift every once in a while. Those repetitions over and over and over again. Same thing is true in your spiritual life. Spiritual disciplines are repetitive actions that we do, constantly just going before God in prayer, repeatedly going to him in prayer, repeatedly getting into the word of God so that we will grow, so that we'll become stronger, our roots will grow deeper. But it's up to us. It's up to us. We make those decisions daily, whether we're going to engage in God's word, whether we're going to be with God's people, like whether we're going to worship or not. Daily decisions make tiny, almost imperceptible differences in the roots of our faith, but the results of which become foundational. So you don't know when something's going to hit you. We don't know or how challenges will come. Most of us, like we're going along and we're just kind of living life. We don't know how the tectonic plates are shifting beneath our worlds. When something's going to happen, when a life quake is going to occur. So, so to be ready for all that, we have deep roots. We have solid foundations so that we can stand. We don't know about our personal seasons of winter or summer. We don't know how long they're going to last. So we set our roots deeply as we can into the only true source of nourishment for our souls, which is Jesus Christ. He's the one that will sustain us through it all. Oh, and remember, it's the storms of life where our spiritual root system is actually strengthened. The absence of storms or the absence of problems can often soften our resolve. And that's why Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 7, let your roots grow down deep into him. Man, let them go down and let your lives be built on him. So the second takeaway, I'm going to use the analogy of building. We talked a lot about the root system, the significance of daily disciplines that allow those roots to go down deep. Right, they're important. 
We need them. But the second takeaway and the second action step I want to give you is related to the other analogy on building. But the second action step is this. Accept the responsibility. Accept the responsibility to identify and, get this, repair the fault lines in your life so that you can build on a solid foundation. Seismologists, scientists who study the structure and the movement of the earth and its faults are becoming more and more adept at determining where these fault lines are and even predicting when something might, might happen uh, or when they might erupt. And I believe today that every one of us Every Christian has the responsibility to become a spiritual seismologist. Uh, that's the term that we're just going to use here today to define an action step. We have that responsibility to become a spiritual seismologist to, uh, and study and identify the fault lines in our lives and then take steps to prevent the upheavals that could result in a life quake. And I'm going to use this word life quake because that's what happens when our lives are totally disrupted. There's nothing that science can do to prevent earthquakes. The sudden movement of those tectonic plates along the fault lines. We can identify them. We can avoid building on or near those fault lines. And we can monitor their movement with all kinds of delicate measuring devices, hoping to predict that an earthquake will come. But when, when it all comes down to it, we're at the mercy of the earth's fault lines, geologically speaking. And sadly, I believe many of us take that same attitude toward the fault lines in our own lives. We have these behavioral or emotional or personality traits that are constantly erupting in, the, in these displays of negative energy, hurting ourselves or hurting other people. And we conclude that's just who we are. That's just us. I don't care. I can't really do anything about it. I don't know what's going to happen. That's just, that's just who I am. Instead of taking personal responsibility for the fault lines in our lives, we blame parents. We blame genetics. We blame environments. We blame our socioeconomic status. We blame our lack of education. We blame everything and everyone except ourselves. And I believe that so many of us are walking around saying it's my fault when we should be saying, no, I'm the one living with that fault line. I'm the one that's living on the edge of disaster. I'm the one that's living on the edge of irresponsibility. It's my fault, and I'm going to own it, and by the grace of God, I'm going to see it changed. See, we can't do anything about earthquakes, but we can prevent lifequakes. I believe you're living on a fault line. If you're walking around and you're constantly fantasizing in your mind about an extramarital affair, maybe you're into porn and you're just allowing your mind to go there. Somehow you've justified it. Maybe you're fantasizing about an illicit relationship. Listen, I'll tell you right, if that's you, you're living on a fault line and it's just a matter of time before the plates move in a way that you fall. Some of you are living with such a prideful attitude, a prideful spirit in your lives. Listen, pride always goes before what? Destruction, a fall, right? You're about to go down. Some of you are living with unforgiveness and bitterness in your hearts and in your lives. It's below the surface kind of stuff. And listen, it's a fault line. And if you don't do something about that fault line, work on that, get that repaired, you are going to blow up someday, and you're going to hurt somebody else and hurt yourself. 
There's all kinds of fault lines, man, that are below the surface in our lives, and it is our responsibility to identify them and go to work at them before a life quake happens. Now, I don't know where you're at. I can't see below the surface of your life. I don't know what's going on in your thought life. I don't know the kind of things you're entertaining in your heart. But if sin is this spiritual equivalent of an earthquake, then we need to go beneath the surface of our lives and identify our spiritual fault lines. And we have got to take personal responsibility for our sins. We need to heal those fault lines before they result in life quakes, causing irreparable damage. Can I put a plug in for regeneration? We have a ministry here at the church called Regeneration. Uh, formerly, it was our recovery ministry, but we switched, uh, what was about half a year ago, maybe to regeneration, a more discipleship-based uh, approach to this. And here's what happens at regeneration. We have people walking into that ministry, and this past week, it was close to 70-some people coming into that ministry. There are people walking in who already have had life quakes occur in their lives. They became addicted to a substance. They became addicted to porn. They had an affair or whatever it is, and they're walking in and now walking the path of recovery and healing. It's a beautiful thing. But there are also others who are walking into regeneration because they've simply recognized a fault line beneath the surface, and they want to go to work at that. They want to do something about that before it erupts. And all those people are welcome into this. You don't have to wait until a life quake happens in order to go through recovery. No, if you recognize the potential of fault line, listen, get help now. Get help now. It's our responsibility. And you can do that before it erupts. But in either case, men and women coming into regeneration are taking personal responsibility to do something about it. See, unlike earthquakes, life quakes can be avoided. So what is it beneath the surface of your life that's sustaining you, that's nourishing you, that's building you up, that's causing you to remain firm? I want to close with a little story that was uh, given by the author of this book, and this kind of goes back to the root analogy now once again, but he tells a story about St. George's by the Vineyard. Now, according to Richard Wentz, who kind of writes this historical story, this is an old church uh, that settled in the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains. And he says, this church holds the title deeds to a vineyard which produces, as the natives insist, the most luscious grapes anywhere in that region. Every year when these grapes are ripe, the members of St. George's come to pick and eat the luscious clusters. Some of them take the grapes and make wine, which is allegedly the best wine available anywhere. People often wondered about this vineyard because they never saw anyone taking care of it. They never saw anyone out in the vineyard doing anything uh, out there. Well, then Jeremy, the sexton of this church, St. George's, died. His father before him had been the sexton. His fathers before him, back and back generations, it was always in the family. No one could remember a time when the sexton of this church had not been a member of this family. A tactic turned incluse. Jeremy never really talked to anyone, but very lovingly cared for St. George's by the vineyard. 
After his death, there was a note found beside his bed, and it simply said, the key to everything is under the altar. Uh, Sure enough, they looked under the altar, and there was a key. But not only a key, there was also a stone slab, which they noticed for the very first time, a slab which could be lifted up. And when they lifted up this slab, and they discovered there was a stairs leading down into a crypt. And the the warden and some of the other officials took flashlights and they went down the stairs and began to investigate this crypt. And to their surprise, they could hear the gurgling of a spring. And when they reached it, they discovered a chart and a time schedule. Unknown to anyone else, the sexton had been releasing waters of that spring regularly and faithfully into the ducts that irrigated the vineyard. A spring that people did not know about. Source, though, of renewal and vitality. Then the author closes this chapter by asking the question, how spiritually productive are our vineyards? This is no time, by the way, to claim a construction amnesty. This is no time to try to shortcut our spiritual lives because of something that might cost us too much. No, let's not, let's not take any shortcuts. This is a time to go deep into God's word. This is a time to go deep in order to build a life that lasts, in order to build a Christian life that stands firm when the, when the, when the world around us quakes. Don't cut it short. Don't cut it short by thinking you can get by with just a, a little bit of God, a little bit of his word. You know, just a little bit of church, maybe a little bit of spirituality. That's a construction amnesty being applied to your spiritual life. It's not a good idea. See, there are times when life will quake. Man, things come at us. We don't really, I mean, we we try to predict what might be coming, but there's so many unpredictable things that happen, aren't there? And so when life begins to quake around us, Man, I want you, I want myself to be able to stand firm. Stand firm. We don't want to crash. We don't want to crash and burn. That's damaging to us, to everyone else. So I just want to end this morning by praying over you. Praying that God would give you a desire just to go deep. To go deep so that your life might stand strong. And let's pray together. Yes, amen. God, what a good thing it is just to be in your house this morning, to glean from your word today. Thank you for the way that you have chosen to speak and to give stories that help us understand life, our spiritual lives. God, my prayer today would be that we would take the stories of the the vineyard, the story from Jeremiah, story from the Gospels of Luke, and we would begin to see the significance and the importance of a deep-seated root system in our lives, foundations upon which we can build so that our homes and our structures of our spiritual lives would not be destroyed. God, I pray for everyone out there right now watching online, everyone in the balcony, everyone in all these four sections in this room here today, others that might be listening in from outside. God, I pray today for every single person in this room. God, I pray that you would give us a desire right now in this moment to just go deep so that we might be able to stand strong and stand firm. Give us a root system. Give us a foundation 
Give us, a, give us a sense today that what lies beneath the surface is so, so important in order for us to stand strong for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.